Thank you. It is really great to be here this morning and uh, it's not that cold here in Ballarat really. I didn't even bring a jacket, a jumper, I'm just happy to be here and uh, I had um, a great coffee and waffles breakfast so I'm full of sugar and caffeine and uh, full of the Holy Spirit I hope too and uh, some people might say you're just full of it uh, because they don't always like everything I say and they don't like everything you say either. There are people who in this world are going to throw you off your perch. They're going to discourage you. They're going to be negative at times. But does that change who you are? Does it change who you've been called to be? Does it change what God has called out in you in times past? Does it change what God still wants to call out in the future? I believe many of us are sitting here this morning not living up to the fullest potential we have because some of us have been discouraged. Some of us have actually thrown us. Some of us have uh, perhaps responded to the circumstances of life, but importantly to the words of others. And you've allowed yourself to be somebody a little different to who God sees. Someone who's maybe even failing to step, short, to, is failing to step up to where God has called you to be. I want to share with you this morning some thoughts from my own life and from obviously the Word of God that I believe will encourage you to step up, encourage you to be who God has called you to be, encourage you to turn your back on some of those negatives and the things others have said and others have spoken over your life. And uh, before I do that, I want to tell you a bit about myself. I uh, became a Christian at the age of 16 and I uh, was probably a little bit, uh, I guess, awkward and shy around my faith and about who I was. Because I lived in the shadow of others and what others had said. Things that my parents had said, my grandparents, my teachers were ringing in my ears all the time. I was worried that perhaps I didn't have their affirmation to be the person that God had called me to be until I realised through reading the Word of God that I need to honour those people and sometimes the negatives can actually be turned around as a positive when you actually allow the Word of God to ring in your ears even more. So when God's speaking, when God's encouraging, when God's affirming, it's like he says, I've put you in some of these circumstances that are adverse so that you can watch, look, learn and be different to that and actually have a greater testimony because what started out in adversity has been flipped around. If everything went well all the time, it would just be too easy. And we sometimes want to be on easy street and have it all come easy, and yet life's not like that. So rather than respond and be flattened by it, why not say that to the glory of God, I'm actually better and bigger and stronger in spite of all those things that have happened, God's turned them around for good. And so for me, I didn't think that I would be doing what I'm doing now when I was 16, I didn't think back then that I'd be pastoring a church, although I had a sense that maybe that's what God wanted. I just couldn't envisage what it would look like. I had fixed ideas about what I wanted to do, and I went into a teaching career, probably knowing that to some extent that was safe, but certainly also knowing that there was something developing in me about giving out to others. There were gifts that God wanted to use, and he was preparing me for more. That didn't invalidate my teaching career. That was a very important ministry where God used me to shape others. But while he's using you, he's also preparing you. He's growing you. He is making you bigger and better and stronger. But your response to him has to be a yes. It's the availability of your yes, not your no, your wait, your maybe, but the yes heart that might have a weight attached to it. W-A-I-T, where God says, thank you, but not yet. Thank you, but there's a time of preparation. There's a season in which something more is needed before you can step into what you see or what you sense. Now is not the time. But it is the time to serve. It is the time to step out. It is the time to exercise faith. It's the time to be diligent and responsible with what God has put before you now and in that, God is using you for what is yet to come. So when I was 16 and starting to get into the Word of God, God was showing me something of what he wanted as I went to a new church and I saw people whose lives were turned around. They were delivered from substance addictions. Their 
seemingly impossible marriages were turning around. There were people who were being physically healed. And I started to sense that because God was able to do that in others, maybe it's something he also wanted to do through me. Maybe it's something he wants to do through you. So not just look at what you see God doing in others, the good things, but to start to crave and thirst for what he might do through you. It's part of the preparation. Earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts, as we're told in 1 Corinthians. It's hungering for more of what you want, that in your stepping out and saying yes to God, maybe you're not there yet, but you're doing what's on your plate, you're being faithful, have your eyes open to see what God is trying to say and to do, ask the questions, why is it that you do this when you pray? How do you pray? Watch people when they pray. But ask the questions, what's going on in their heart or their mind? What are they thinking? How are they responding to God? And I feel to say this this morning because I believe there are some people here and you've watched and you've looked at others serving God and what they do, but maybe not developing enough of a hunger and passion to crave the things that you know in your inner stirrings God wants for you. But you've been content to just sit back and say, well, maybe that's not for me. Earnestly desiring the very things that God is challenging you and stirring you about, watch and see what he'll do through you too. When I got married, married a wife who kind of fit everything on my wish list. And I'd been praying and submitting my list of attributes to God. And I wanted somebody who was passionate for him and for his kingdom. I wanted somebody who was uh, going to be a great compliment to me, who has certain personality and character traits. And also wanted somebody who's pretty good looking. But um, when, I, when I married her, I thought, it's incredible. She's answered everything but I didn't necessarily think it was God answering my prayer until somebody pointed out to me by asking me, do you think that maybe in getting married a little bit later than some of your friends, there was a waiting season, a preparation? And I sort of thought about it and realised I wasn't ready to marry when I was younger. The things I had to sort out about me, I think I would have been a bad husband marrying too young. I would also have been a bad pastor pastoring too young. When people have asked me questions, when people have cared enough to sort of stop and, and question, what's God doing in my life? I've been able to stop and respond and think. And it's, it's sown something in me to kind of respond to what they're saying, think a little bit about it, and then develop myself further. There are people in your life who are causing you to think, to question what's God doing, to pause, to take a breath, to reflect and see what God is up to, to open your eyes, and then you'll go further. But God also wants you to be that for others. I want you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to see how this happens. We're going to see how it is that God uses Christians, like you and me, to encourage others, to ask the right questions, to get them to reflect and think about what God is doing and to step up. Now, when I got married, of course, I really wanted to have kids. We talked about how many. We ended up with four. Four children who are sometimes a handful. I'm in the dad's taxi season of life with an 11, 13, 17 and 19-year-old. Two boys, two girls. And I know that they're getting older now. My 13-year-old daughter, when I took her to a basketball game, and we arrived early, I thought I'd have some time to chat. And she says, Dad, that's your seat over there with the other parents. She was ordering me around because she wanted to spend some time with the other 13-year-old girls. You know, when as a parent, you'd like to think that you can be the voice of God to help them to reflect and to think and to grow and to stretch. They don't always want your wisdom. Have you ever noticed that? When you're an adult... People could prompt you with questions and you think and reflect because you're in that zone. But kids, they're not interested necessarily. You've got to be mindful of having the wisdom to know when to speak, when to shut up, when people are ready, when they're not. Sometimes God will use other people to speak to you with wisdom and you're not ready for it either. But God wants you to open your eyes to the people around you who need you to step up and be who God has called you to be. Don't compare yourself to others and where you want to be. 
and be starting to question, well, why aren't I there? Don't, on the other hand, shrink back and say, I could never be where they are. But look at where you are now. Look at the season of opportunity in the present. What God is asking of you to serve to do now, be the best available person you can be where you are and watch with your eyes open to what God is doing in the now moment. And he will call other people to speak into your life and call you to speak into theirs. But when you step up and serve God, when you make yourself available to be there for them, to encourage them, don't see yourself as God's Mr. or Mrs. Fix-It. There's going to be every answer and every solution to every problem because not everyone will be ready. Just be available, be ready to go, to do what God leads you to do, to be his voice of encouragement and hope. And the more that you give out to others, the more God is actually going to give back to you. Just before we read this passage from Luke chapter 9, I, uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that when I grew up, I had more available to me than I was ready for too. In my immaturity, I had closed eyes like we all sometimes do, and I couldn't see what was right around me. I had grandparents who, when I became a Christian, I'd left a traditional church, and they didn't. They didn't understand why I left. I just thought they were against me. So I had a very inward-looking, very self-absorbed kind of look at life. And I couldn't see that God had put me there to watch what he was doing through them. See, they had a traditional approach to Christianity, but they modelled Christianity with humility, with a servanthood, with a desire to give out of the money that they had. And they would have had well in excess of a million dollars, could have given it all to me when they died. I hardly got anything because they were generous people who gave it to others. And if I had appreciated that heritage a little bit more, instead of thinking about what I should have had or what I needed them to be, then God could have used that relationship even more than he did. I occasionally stayed with them. One day I went and answered the phone because no one seemed to be running for it. It was ringing loudly. It's one of those old kinds, you know, that's tethered to the wall. Anyone under 40 know what I'm talking about? So um, I, I answered the phone. I was looking for a pen to take a message. And there was a painting. It was on the wall above the phone and it had a big chunky frame and the pens were sitting on the frame. I grabbed one off it, took the message and reminded myself how much I hated that painting. It was in a dark corridor, it looked ugly, and the frame, I thought, made it worse. When my grandparents died, <laughs> actually, was, when my grandparents died, I had a, a different understanding because apparently the painting had been valued. And the painting was sold, and the, painting, the painting's proceeds were used to help people who were in need. I thought, well, it couldn't help too many people. It was such an ugly painting. Apparently, it was a Russian masterpiece. And back in the 1990s, it was valued at $180,000. Helped a lot of people. So I didn't have much of an appreciation for the finer things because in my immaturity, I looked at it wrongly. In your immaturity, you can look at things wrongly too. When we have a more mature perspective that looks outward, that says, God, I want to be used. God, open my eyes. Help me to learn. Help me to see. Help me to see others. It's amazing how we appreciate the value of the moment, of the people, much more than we otherwise would. There's a kind of uh, value that's attached to the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. It's far more than money. But I reckon when we're inward-looking... When we're self-absorbed, when we're less mature, we don't see as God sees. We fail to appreciate the value of the blessing of the Holy Spirit of God and what he wants to be in our lives. Luke chapter, one, reading, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 9, reading from verse 1. One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples, gave them power and authority to cast out all demons 
and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Seriously? Not even a change of clothes. What's Jesus saying here? It goes on, wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages preaching the good news and healing all the sick. I believe that Jesus is saying something powerful here. He's asking his disciples to go and stay in the same home, probably because he wants something to rub off on the people. You go and stay in a place for one day, and then you go somewhere else for a day, and another place for a day. It can be very exciting when you have a selfish approach. I want new experiences, and I want to look at what I can get out of it. Say, no, no, you stay in the same place, because by being there, you're doing life with people. You are rubbing off on people. Something that Jesus has deposited in his disciples, he wants it to be infectious. He wants it to be outward focused. He doesn't want to make our faith all about us. He doesn't want to make our growth spiritually become all about what we need, about the blessed life that we should have, about a name it and claim it faith that is all about receiving. He wants it to be about giving. He wants it to be about serving. He wants it to be about others needing the truth that we are privileged to have. And when the people refuse the message, what's he saying here? It's like you've got to shake the dust off your feet, abandon them to their fate. That seems harsh. But you see, Jesus is not talking to those people. He's talking to his disciples. Right? When you talk amongst other Christians, there can be a certain reality that if people don't come to Christ, the Bible says that their eternal destiny is a place called hell. We don't go about it the Israel Falau way and get in the face of those people and say, if you drink, if you're a liar, what else was in his list? If you're gay, you're not going to say to those people you're going to hell. And it doesn't matter that it's a quote from the Bible. You're not going to be insensitive and go up to people and say because they practice certain things that God has given up on them. That's not the love of a God that we serve who calls us to be as wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. He calls us to a love to go out to people because they're at risk of going to a Christless eternity. But not to tell people, if you do this or that, if you practice this or that lifestyle, you're going to hell. That's not the message of Scripture. The message of the Bible is that if you don't have a relationship with God, it's the very fact that you're not restored or reconciled to God that puts you in danger when you have a relationship with God, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or what you practice. Even after becoming a Christian, it's not about the fact that you had one drink too many or that you swore. We try to live a life that honours God, but we're not in and out of salvation because of the choices we make. The message of the Bible is that we are not condemned or saved on account of the things that we do. The things that we do flow out of a life that has been transformed and changed by the love of God and where our love takes, or his love takes us to the place of dependence upon him. That's what I didn't understand at 16. I didn't understand that God and his grace were prepared to forgive me of all the things I'd done wrong, prepared not to judge me for what I continued to do wrong. God's grace simply brought me to his knees that every time I had done wrong, that I could confess my sins and know that the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from unrighteousness. I see a bit of myself in these disciples here who Jesus is speaking to. He's trying to give them confidence. Go out and believe in yourself as a person who is called. I've called you to proclaim the message of the good news. Do it sensitively. Do it lovingly. But when you're in these houses and you're letting something rub off on these people, if they don't respond it, 
you to man. I've called you and appointed you. So go and then bring the gospel to others who do receive it. The sad thing is not everyone will. Some people will reject it. You're not to condemn them. You're not to pass judgment on them. You're simply to stand in the confidence to share your faith. And if people don't receive it, don't take it personally. Don't get knocked off your perch. Don't take a backward step. Just pick yourself up. Dust yourself off. There's more people out there who need to hear what you've got to give them. So what is Jesus asking of his disciples when he does send them out? He's not focusing on what they shouldn't do. He's focusing on what they should. And he says, You're to go out in power and authority, casting out demons, healing the sick, telling everyone about the kingdom. This confidence, this willingness to step out in the authority of Jesus Christ is a message for this hour. It's a message for churches where people come, we were talking about this before the service, and they come for a fresh injection of their spiritual drugs when they walk through the door of churches across Australia, sitting in the back, hoping to encounter God in some way because maybe they're not doing well, Maybe they're not full of this sense of authority and power and calling. Maybe they don't know what their gifts are. Maybe they're living a little short of God's best for them. They're turning up to church hoping someone will turn it on for them. That's the wrong mindset. We don't come to church to hide in the back and hope that something drifts off the stage and impacts us. What we do is we come full of the authority and confidence of a God who has already called us. If you're a Christian, you're a child of heaven who's been given a mission and a mandate to touch your world. You come to church with other like-minded people and you stir up the passion and the excitement for God and you receive on the basis of what you give. You give finances and God blesses you, you give first. You lift your hands in worship with passion and fervor. You walk out of this place 10 feet tall because it's about your mindset and attitude. It's what you bring to the table by a choice to respond to the God who has moved first. You see, when you're giving to God out of your finances, you're giving because God's already given to you. So he's blessed you. He asks of you to give to him. And as you give, you unlock something in your heart it's a responsiveness to God where he then continues to bless you in return. When you choose to worship and to praise him, it's because he's already set you free. He's already saved and redeemed you and given you gifts. You respond to him and then you're unlocking something of that relationship where he fills you afresh with his power, where he excites and enthuses you to leave this place and to impact more lives. And I don't know about you, but I reckon it's been pretty hard at times to get a sense of that if life's not going well. If I'm consumed with what's not working and with that adversity, it's very easy. Like we saw in that painting before, wasn't it good? You see the mist. You see what's not working. You see what's right in front of your eyes that seems to be clouding a clear picture of where God wants to take you. It's actually when you recognise he's put you on that horse, he's given you a crown, he wants you to ride through life with the authority and confidence as a child of heaven who's been called to be part of his kingdom of priests to impact the world. And you don't always have to see clearly first. You just have to be obedient. Isn't it interesting? He speaks of authority here and he speaks to the 12. In Luke chapter 10, he speaks to the 72 and he gives them authority. And he sends them out two by two with a very similar message. And he goes on to say, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. It's a symbolic picture of having authority over all the work of the devil. So when the devil seeks to oppress people, whether it's with mental illness, with physical pain, with relationship breakdown, with adversity of whatever kind... You can empathise that you have adversity too. You're not better than other people. You're just better off because you get the king of kings in your corner. When you go out and talk to them, you don't talk with arrogance. 
you talk with confidence and the knowledge that you have the authority of Jesus to go out and make a difference. And it means that sometimes you can pray. You don't have to just bring them to church to get their miracle. He's called you to go because he called the 12. He called the 72. And then in Matthew 28, when he told his disciples to go into all the world, he prefaced it by saying, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. So what did that mean? Jesus had authority. He now passes the baton. Jesus passed the baton to me when I was 16. He said, I've called you to have the authority. I'm th thinking, authority? Me? But adults always seem to want to have to give permission for me to act. It's like I have to second-guess myself all the time. I'm living in the shadow and the fear and the... And, the, and with the, the, the words that the teachers have spoken over me that were so discouraging at times. How could I possibly do it? But the Lord continued to encourage me as I read the word. In passages like this, show me that I've been called. The disciples were young, some of them possibly teenagers, Bible scholars tell us. They weren't significant people. They didn't have doctorates and loads of commercial marketplace experience they were simply called to exercise gifts to use their delegated authority to go and impact people where they could encourage them yes but they could do more than that they could pray for the sick they could cast out demons and they could actually see people's lives turn around could it not be that god is asking you to do the same thing could it not be that he's asking you to open your eyes to what he's wanting to do through you and he's wanting you to be the agent by which other people's eyes are opened to him. So, some Churches of Christ congregations I've visited recently, and also others that I've heard about as I've talked to pastors, some of them are seeing demons cast out of people. If they were real in Jesus' time, why wouldn't they be real today? Now, that doesn't mean we're trying to create some kind of show in church. Because when demons are cast out, that doesn't always come with manifestations of all sorts of weird things happening. The best kind of deliverance is when a person's got something not working in their life and they conform it to the Bible. The Bible, which transforms our mind, has us think differently about who we are and then we act differently. So I'll give you an example. That whilst I have prayed for people and seen manifestations that would involve eyes rolling around and vomiting and all sorts of um, coughing spasms and screaming and all sorts of things that might strike fear into some, all that happens in those cases is there's a confrontation of the devil's power with God's power, which is greater. And the, why that confrontation happens is usually because the other person hasn't changed anything about their thinking to own the desire to change. So in the presence of the power of God, sometimes people's lives that are anchored in choices they've made, where they're not willing to change, they come into this conflict with the power of God that's shaking them up a bit. I've seen people that I've prayed for who've been into occultic practices in the past, where there have been all sorts of choices they've made about music they've listened to, movies they've watched, practices they've engaged in, where... The reluctance to change, the reluctance to repent and give their lives to God, mean that sometimes when you pray for them, you see this kind of unusual behaviour. I prayed for a guy where there were demons cast out of him only because he said, I've got a demon in me and I want you to get it out. I was actually a bit sceptical when I prayed for him, but I just simply prayed and he started reacting. And when I finished praying, he calmed down he lost his strength, and as he recovered, he said, I feel so different. Now, that wouldn't necessarily mean a whole lot, because you're not, um, your, your spiritual faith can sometimes be a bit deluded by what you see with your natural eyes. So I sent him back to his psychiatrist, and his psychiatrist rang me, and it was the psychiatrist who said, this is incredible, the guy has changed so much. But I also prayed for a lady there were no noticeable demonic manifestations. She just said, I smoke and I want to stop smoking. She recognised the smoking was an addiction. 
that it was crippling her physically and it was also getting in the way of her serving God. This was not me putting this on her. This was her talking about it. She said, I feel God wants me to give this up. I had sensed that he's saying he wants me to stop. She said, in addition to knowing that it's hurting my health, she says, I actually don't feel I've got it within me to stop. I've tried. I just don't know what to do. So what I had to do was to help her to realize, as it says in this passage, that if she's a Christian, God has sent her out in his authority and power to change her world. So I put it like this. I said, I led a police inspector to the Lord, along with a couple of other pastors. It's a long story, but we prayed for him. We followed him up. He came to the place where he committed his life to Christ. He got baptized. He went on a missions trip. He doesn't suddenly stop everything and live in a bubble. He's still a policeman, all right, but he just goes about his life differently now. So I said, when he's on a, uh, um, a sting, a bust, a, a case, and he's um, putting his life in danger, all right, he's not going into the situation any differently now that he's a Christian. We're still normal. We live in the real world. But he goes there, and he has to exercise a certain kind of authority. He can pray now that God gives him the power and strength to apprehend the criminal, but he's actually got a certain authority already given to him by the state of Victoria. And it's to be a policeman who clothes himself with a certain uniform, he puts on a certain badge, and he steps out in the name of the law to apprehend a criminal. I said to the woman, imagine if the policeman is parading up and down the footpath or there's a burglary going on in the house and is singing, I thank God for the authority I have in the name of the state of Victoria to apprehend criminals. In the name of Victoria, I have authority over those burglars inside that house. Imagine if he's doing all that and then he's staying on the footpath. Just like a lot of Christians who are singing about their authority in church on a Sunday and are not going out into the world and exercising it. You've got a certain delegated authority that comes as a child of God to think differently about yourself and about the mission God has called you to. This woman could not get over the fact that her identity was still being shaped now as a mature woman by the things her mother had spoken into her life. So she's saying to me that her mother always made the choices when she was growing up. Her mother told her what she could do, what she couldn't do, what she could have, what she couldn't have, where she could go, where she couldn't go. And I said, how long ago was this? It was decades prior. And so what she did was she turned to smoking because it was the one thing she could rebel against mum with. It was the one thing that mum had no control over, the one thing that mum couldn't see. She hid it from her, and she felt this enormous power in her choice to smoke. When you realise the thinking that is behind people's choices, and you change it with a different kind of thinking about who you are from the Bible, that's when the greatest deliverance happens. You don't need to look for unusual manifestations. You just need to conform to what the Word of God says and let it shape your thinking and see yourself differently. When she realized she was called to be a daughter of heaven and realized that she is called to be who her heavenly father says she is, when she's called to embrace his identity, when she's called to be clothed with the authority of the Spirit of God, she thought differently about herself. And from that moment on, when she walked out of my office, she never smoked again. Right Now, I could have prayed and cast out the spirit of nicotine addiction or whatever. That would have been irresponsible. It would have been insensitive and would have missed the point that sometimes the people who are hurting out there who need you don't need you to come and work the miracle you think you need to work. They sometimes need you to recognise you've got authority to go and be confident to sit down and help them to connect with the God of heaven who changed your life, maybe not in an instant, but over a period of time. And he calls you to be patient and to talk and to help people sometimes over a period of time to conform to God's plan for their lives, what the word of God says about them. And yes, you can do it. 
As I draw to a close soon, I just wanted to um, uh, talk to you about some of the obstacles to authority. But before I do, there's a story of a farmer who uh, seemed to be out of sorts with a few people in the town, and one of them decided that he would make a bit of trouble. And he would spread a rumour that there was marijuana growing on the farm. Next thing you know, the police turn up. And the farmer is quite indignant because he knows there's no drugs on his farm. But the policeman that comes on site is a little bit brash. He's a little bit arrogant. And he says, well, I've got to check this rumour out. And the farmer says, well, go for your life, buddy. He says, um, not stopping you, go all across my farm. Look, wherever you like, all except one paddock down the south end of the property. He says, don't go there. Well, what do you think the policeman's going to say about that? He says, oh, yeah? We said, see this badge? This badge gives me the authority to go wherever I want. And I'm going to start with that paddock because I reckon you might be hiding something. This policeman thinks, right, suit yourself. Anyway, he goes on about his business and the policeman decides to trot off down to the south paddock. About 10 minutes later, the farmer hears the policeman screaming at the top of his lungs. He's running for his life and there's this ferocious bull chasing him. He says, call this bull off me. He said, quick, help, I'm going to die. The farmer says, show him your badge. Show him your badge. You see, if you... If you, exercise, if you exercise the authority of Christ in that kind of a way, and you walk out of here telling people you need to accept Jesus or you're going to burn in hell, right? you talk to people and say, I know what you need. You need the power of God. And I'm going to lay hands on you. And I'm going to believe that God's going to touch you. Well, a lot of people don't normally have people lay hands on them. They don't normally have people come up to them and offer to pray as if they can't even say no. You've got to be careful and sensitive and loving. But even if you have the desire and the confidence to exercise the authority Jesus has given you to share your faith, what does it say here? Preach the kingdom. If you think, I'm going to pray for these people and see them healed, because Jesus said to go and heal the sick. Even if you think, I'm going to walk out this place 10 feet tall and change the world, which is a good thing. You can miss the moment. You can miss the moment by blowing it with people and not being normal and not recognising God's called you to live in a real world, not to live in a bubble. But there's a lot of people who don't have the confidence and walk out of this place saying, oh, I could never pray for people. And what if somebody does have a demonic manifestation? I think I would be spooked. I don't think I could handle that. Well, by exercising authority, you deal with things as they come. If you're sensitive and caring and loving and you're just going about your business talking to people about Jesus, you talk to them about what he's done in your life. You have a story about how you're proud to go to church on Sunday. Don't hide it. When people ask you at work, oh, I go to church and it's awesome. And we've got such a great group of people of all ages. All right, if you don't know what to say and you're thinking, but what if they ask me a difficult question? You don't have to know everything. All right, and you might know a handful of Bible verses. Well, that's a handful more than most people know. Right, but don't assault people with the Bible verses. Just be normal. Have a conversation. What I used to do is talk to people about the football, talk to them about the movies they watched, I talk to them about where they went for dinner, I'd engage in a conversation, but I'd be looking for the opportunities to turn it around to spiritual things. And so if they talk to me about getting wasted on Saturday night and then having a sleep in and after their hangover going to the football, I'd say, oh, well, did you enjoy that weekend? You get a variety of responses. <laughs> but I say, you know what I did on the weekend? And I actually want to tell them that I went to church. Because what's going to happen then is they're either going to already think I'm a nerd and they're going to turn their back on me, in which case nothing's been lost, or it's going to go somewhere. It's like, you know, when I go to church, I get a bigger buzz than I could ever get from alcohol. Right, it's an awesome place to be because, because, because. Give them the story. 
Tell them how Jesus has changed your life. And if they start saying, how could you possibly believe that Jesus Christ was a miracle worker? We don't believe, we don't see miracles. You want to bet? Tell them about the ones you've seen. They ask you, how could you possibly believe that a human being who lived 2,000 years ago could be the son of God? One response I give is, it's funny because in 1 Corinthians, there's this verse that talks about Jesus rising from the dead and being seen by 500 people. That wouldn't stack up if it was false. It would be so easy to find the 500 people or not and prove it was false. But in actual fact... In the first century literature, there were people who were talking who weren't Christians. They were Jews and they were Romans and actually said they believed the stories. Or at the very least, they didn't have any reason to believe they were false. But you might have your own answers. Don't get academic. Don't pride yourself in having to know everything because you too can't keep intellectual pursuits at the forefront as a protection from the need to open your heart to the transforming work of God. When your heart is exposed to others in a conversation where you can show them how Jesus has touched you, you can show the empathy and love, you can show how the gifts of the Spirit in your life have changed you and made you a different person, that will be compelling to others. They're going to see the power of God in you and be drawn to that. You know, when I've led people to Christ myself, I haven't done it because I'm a pastor. I haven't done it because I've gone to Bible college. I've done it because I've been normal. But I'm also supernatural. So are you. The power of God in you crosses the bridge of normal into the hearts of other people. When you spend the time with them and talk to them, they will be unable to help. But notice there is a difference because of the things you say, the things you do, because of the attitude of the heart. Jesus has called young people in Luke 9, young men, older teens, to go out and change their world. People who didn't know anything, who weren't well respected, they were just ordinary guys. How much more couldn't he use you and me, in spite of our achievements or our lack of them, to go and change our world? You know, when we are not successful at soccer, we could say, well... We have fun, we play a great game, great bunch of blokes, the coach is a top fella and we really enjoy every Saturday. But you'd be kidding yourself, wouldn't you? You might be enjoying it, but you're not a successful soccer team if you're losing. If the score's not going on the board, you are not winning because the, de- the definition of success is to actually have more goals than your opponents. And what we do is we shift the goalposts And we make our lack of success about something else. We do it with church and our Christian faith too. When we're not changing people's lives, we're not seeing them come to Christ, we're not ever praying and seeing sick people get well, we start to shift the goalposts and say, oh, that's not my gift. I guess God can heal them if he wants to. I'm doing my best. We can make all sorts of excuses for not being desperate and earnestly desiring spiritual gifts, for not getting out of our comfort zone and talking to people. We can make excuses for not being normal enough to care enough for the people long enough to want to let something rub off on them. And I know that all of you here have got people who are far from Christ, people who don't know him, if we really believe that the Bible says there's one of two destinies for every person on the planet, there's either heaven or hell. I'm saying don't berate people and harass them and be insensitive about that. But if you're a Christian, there ought to be the same urgency of Jesus' early disciples to say, I've got to love those people enough to see them come to faith. Because the good news is that there is a way of escape for everyone on the planet. The good news is that just as your life and my life were touched by Jesus once upon a time, that he calls us to see other people rescued, to see other people come to faith. He's called for us to do what he said to Timothy, the work of an evangelist. He's called us, whether we feel like we're up to it or not, to look beyond the barriers, the intellectual ones, the fear barriers, to look beyond the 
justifications as to why we can't and to just get out and do it. Know who you are called to be. Know what you are called to do and just go and do it. You don't wear a policeman's uniform and a badge, but you're clothed with the power of the Spirit if you're a child of God. So exercise that authority. Go out and find some people and talk to them about Christ. And if they give you the bird, if they're nasty to you, well, they probably already were. And they probably were already not caring about the gospel. As long as you haven't done anything to harm the relationship deliberately, that happens. People will reject the message and they won't always like what you've got to say. But you just might find that in 10 attempts, one person sits down with you and they go through the conversation a little bit further and they ask a question that you can just be normal with, don't get academic on them, and they can sit down and find that they might actually, on the second or the third or maybe the fourth conversation, want you to pray. You might actually find that the Holy Spirit gives you a word of knowledge, some prophetic insight, or maybe that he just moves you to pray silently under your breath, Lord, give me the right moment to just offer prayer. And Lord, would you just let them respond? Maybe instead it's, Lord, help me to see what I don't yet see about their greatest needs. And if you get a prompting or a sense, don't get all weirdly spiritual. Just say, hey, I'm just wondering, look at this picture come to mind. Is it possible that maybe there's been a problem at work? Oh, yeah, I lost my job. All right, so you don't have to say to yourself, gee, I, I, might, I might be saying the wrong thing. I'm not sure if that's a word of knowledge. Just be normal and in conversation, offer some thoughts, gently probe, respond to how the Spirit of God leads you and find in normal conversation this willingness in you, this urgency in you to pray that God takes the conversation somewhere. We all have to start somewhere and if you're not used to sharing your faith, if you've justified why you're not a wonder worker, a healer, if you're not seeing people's lives change, don't beat up on yourself. Just start this week. As I close, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God unleash something in the lives of people here. Not just allow the spiritual experience to be a great time together on a Sunday, but to see that the greatest experiences you have, the power of God, are in conversations between Sundays. Because there's a lot of empty seats here that need to be filled. Maybe there are people who are going to come next week and they came last week. But you know, if people are saying when they come, where is everybody today? Just know that that's probably what they were asking about you last week when you weren't here. So just commit to coming, commit to being here, but bring people to encounter God. But don't make it just about Sunday. Go out and see people come to faith because there's an eternity at stake if they don't. And if maybe you're here this morning and you've never responded to Christ, you're not certain about where you're at or where you're going when you die, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to talk to you about that because you need to be certain. Eternity is at stake for all of us. But there's people out there who need to come to Jesus today. And I wonder if we could bow our heads and be praying for them now. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. Lord, for the authority that you've given us to be miracle-working, change agents, you can see people come to faith. You can see people who are hurting and broken and sometimes don't have life together. But even those who think they do, there's so much that's not working. There are people out in our world who have redefined life and not even being real about not knowing where they're going when they die. But there are people in our lives who we know, their eternity is at stake. And I pray that you'd move us with a hunger and a compassion Go and see people one to you. Lord, to do, as you've said in your word, the work of an evangelist, even if we don't feel like we're one. Let's pray there'd be a fresh work of the Spirit of heaven that would touch the hearts of your people here today. Lord, forgive us for the times we've made church about the experience that we want on a Sunday. Lord, that we would be people who would say yes to your bidding, who wouldn't say no or I'm not ready yet. Maybe sometime in the future, but people who would say yes now. And Lord, as we say our yes, I pray that as we go out of this place, there'd be people who'd come to faith tomorrow, the next day, and the day after.
There'd be answers to prayer. We would see miracles worked. We'd see the gifts of the Spirit operating. We would see that the, the, uh, the work that the devil means for harm is turned around for good. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that we would see this church grow and flourish and be all that you've called it to be. Lord, just as we saw in the beginnings of the Churches of Christ movement, with spiritual power, with manifestations of the Spirit in those campsites and, and with people uh, 200 or more years ago who were falling at the feet of the cross and saying, I want Jesus. I want my life changed. Let us see it again. Let us see it through Ballarat and beyond, that people would be coming to faith day after day. Lord, that you would unleash the spirit of prophecy and evangelism, the workings of the spirit in power through the people of this church. Well, to see it grow, you are growing your church that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So grow it through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you'd move on the heart of any person here who needs to respond to the gospel. Will this be a moment of transaction, be a moment of encountering your presence? Just while we're in this attitude of prayer, if you need to respond, I'd love to pray for you as we close the service shortly. Just have you come out of your seat. And if you come up the front here, just identify that there's something you'd like prayer for. You know, maybe uh, you're here in pain and sickness and uh, you need God to touch your body. We've already prayed for healing today for one person, but maybe you need God to touch you. Don't be proud or resistant or say, I can do it some other time. Just simply submit yourself to what God might want to do today. If you need to respond to the gospel and commit your life to Christ and be certain of where you're going when you die, to also be certain that God smiles on you with favor and he wants to use you in advancing his kingdom, come out of the seat. Come stand up the front. We'd love to pray for you too. And if you're here and you're kind of feeling a little bit awkward and uncertain and, and you'd just like someone to stand with you and pray that this confidence we've talked about would propel you out the door, you'd love that sense of confidence and courage to share the gospel. We're going to pray that God fill you with his spirit and there'd be a profound change that you'd experience today. Just as the band come, as we, uh, as we sing our closing song, just wonder if you need prayer. Just uh, step out of your seat, come up the front. I'm just going to uh, close in prayer now, but as you come, do it right now. Don't wait. And uh, Father, I just pray that as people do, as they respond, Lord, that you would be healing people today. But we thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of people in this church today. I thank you for the power of your word and its ability to change our lives and the lives of others. Do it again through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.